Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Pod Medic, and we've got a great episode tonight and, and a returning guest that hasn't been here in a while, and we're looking forward to chatting with him again. Uh, we've also got uh, Kyle here to talk a little bit about our weather, but before we can get to either of them, we have to bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley. Uh, Sam, you've been uh, busy and got a lot going on, but uh, how you been? Good, especially now since the taxes are done. That about made me crazy this year. <laughs> and as usual, Colorado can't decide whether it's winter or spring, so we're still dealing with that. But that's how it works. Our spring doesn't really start until like May. So, but we have Kyle on tonight, and that's that's very exciting because he's been the weather squash as usual. But hopefully, we'll get a little more more time from him. And then uh, we'll be talking to our friend Kevin. How are things out there in uh, the East Coast, Jamie? Very springy. Um, we've uh, had some pretty mild weather the last couple of days, but um, we're going to have some. Uh, I, I got to hold off on planting some things in my garden because it's going to have a couple of frost mornings. Usually, uh, my mom always used to say, never plant anything in Maryland before Mother's Day. And I think she's right again this year because it looks like we're going to have a couple frost warnings next week. Yeah, that's what they, pretty much what they say here, too. So, And I believe it. You know, we get we get fire red flag warnings one day and, and ice and snow warnings the next. Go figure. How about that, Kyle? What is it with Colorado? <laughs> Oh my gosh, Sam! I'll tell you what. So I uh, so yesterday they're forecasting right some flurries, maybe an inch or two. We got seven inches of wet slushy snow, and then today it decided to go from sun to snow as well. But such spring in the mountains and the uh, the gloriousness that we get to experience here out in the western part of the country. Yeah, well, you know, we've been pretty everything that's going on. All these back to back storms going from west to east and right now there's a lot of areas uh getting hit by tornadoes and i would hate to be working for fema they're gonna have to hire more people this is uh this is nuts can you tell us something about that what you know oh well absolutely sam so it has been indeed friends an active week in weather hello again to all those in disaster podcast land meteorologist slash weather squatch kyle nelson back with you here today uh looking back here um all the action uh, started a little earlier last week since the last episode. Uh, They're primarily uh, hail and damaging wind events uh, sweeping across the central plains and the eastern plains, as is very typical for this time of year, as we get those uh, spring weather systems that uh, drag these big sweeping cold fronts across the Great Plains and even along the Gulf Coast as well. We had some uh, action there down on April 15th, but more recently, as Sam is alluding to, back on April 19th, so a day uh, just prior to our recording here, we had a, a over 200 tornado damaging wind and hail reports, according to our friends at the Storm Prediction Center, uh, from Texas to Iowa and all the way into uh, southern Wisconsin even. So uh, multiple National Weather Service offices going out and doing storm surveys as they do after these large damaging uh, wind events roll through, right, to help determine whether, uh, you know, 
whether it was a tornado or straight line winds, and then the magnitude of those winds as well, right? Not just for research purposes, but also perhaps uh, for insurance purposes and also uh, damage documentation purposes as well, right? Sam, you mentioned the uh, the FEMA side of things, right? And these National Weather Service storm surveys in conjunction with the uh, preliminary damage assessments from those local emergency management offices can ultimately inform uh, the uh, estimated dollar values that have been impacted and whether those local municipalities, counties, parishes, however they're structured, are meeting those damage uh, thresholds and those dollar thresholds to then declare uh, states of emergency and then disaster declarations, right, uh, going up the chain, uh, perhaps reaching the federal level. But I don't know, lots of these places that are being impacted there in the central plains and the southeast are quite resilient. And so uh, we'll we'll see just just how how far these uh, these damages rise here on the dollar scale, and uh, depending on the magnitude, what the what if the federal uh, folks get involved. However, um, according to National Weather Service statistics, uh, three fatalities from uh, this last round of uh, widespread severe weather on April 19th, uh, making it the deadliest tornado day in Oklahoma since May 20, 2013, right? Almost 10 years ago when uh, there were 24 people killed by a tornado uh, that swept across more Oklahoma. And some really interesting tornado behavior there where we actually had two uh, two tornado, uh, two circulations in the atmosphere that actually started to sort of revolve around each other. It was a really, really uh, fun and interesting a phenomenon to watch on radar. Typically, we'll see that with uh, tropical cyclones, right? These big, these larger scale circulations in the atmosphere. Uh, but seeing it here at the very hyper local level with regard to tornado circulations was uh, a real treat for those of us in the weather world. But ultimately, right, it caused those tornadoes and, and their circulations in the parent thunderstorms to move in those non-typical directions, right? Instead of that southwest to northeast track or generally easterly track that we expect, right, severe weather to take as it moves from west to east largely across our country, uh, these tornadoes, in fact, some of them actually moved uh, to the north or even to the northwest, uh, even catching many uh, storm chasers off guard out there in the Great Plains. So uh, once again, Mother Nature has humbled us and indeed, a uh, active week of weather still ahead for folks uh, in the central part of the country. Oh boy, yeah, I remember that 2013. Uh, that was an F5, and our friend Chris Prutzman, who I was just talking to recently, he had just started as a medic out there, and and in a very short period of time, here comes this this F5 roaring through, and he lives in Moore right now, if I remember correctly. It's like, I left California for this. Uh, maybe I should go back. I don't know. But anyway, so Kyle, we're looking to have more of the same in the next week. Well, Sam, uh, what we're really looking for is, uh, and, and the big word here is with, in the weather world is spring flooding, right? This is, this is a big one that, that we're really looking at in not just the Northern Plains and the upper Midwest, but also in the Rockies and the areas that continue, right? Like we talked about here at the beginning, continue to receive these, these shots of precipitation, both in liquid and frozen form, uh, all even, uh, forcing the state of Utah, uh, the governor of Utah, to declare a statewide state of emergency due to the the, the flooding impacts, landslides, rock slides, mudslides, and things. Uh, with the as we start to melt out and all that mountain snowpack starts to rush into those uh, relatively constricted river basins and things. But absolutely, uh, things will be active east of the continental divide, while areas westward remain dry with seasonal temperatures over the next week or so. All right, and thank you. 
Um, weather questions, Jamie? Just, you know, it's just, does this seem like a rather ordinary season, Kyle, from, from your standpoint? I mean, it, it seems like we talk about these types of uh, severe weather patterns every year in the spring, especially in the Great Plains and, and more, more recently in the Mid-South uh, region of the country. Well, Jamie, uh, you're absolutely correct, right? Springtime where we have these uh, even greater variations and these greater temperature differences from north to south across the U.S. as we get this change in seasons, this is where we'll typically see, uh, you know, for our friends in the, the south central and southeastern part of the United States, we typically see, right, those two peaks in severe weather uh, in, in their area, right, once in the spring and again, again in the fall, but uh, also now even looking at uh, our friends in the Great Plains, right? Typically, we think of, you know, the tornado alley as it was taught to us back in, in grade school, right? Well, there's some really uh, good research that's uh, continuing to go on looking at how the the typical tornado alley that's that's been defined and drawn in textbooks from, from days gone by actually shifting and uh, sort of the, the timing of that uh, being modified here as uh, as as we have a right a warming and changing climate here, and which is challenging some of those those typical norms that we might uh, you know refer back to in our memories. But again, right, springtime and into the fall as well. That's when we typically see those two peaks in uh, severe weather for the South Central and Southeast U.S. So this is indeed quite typical of this time of year. Not quite as many tornadoes <laughs> as there might have been in days past. Well, speaking of Texas, you happen to mention uh, Texas is one of the places where this, these storms are blowing through. We have our friend Kevin Ryder, a.k.a. the Broken Nomad, a.k.a. Graybeard. Hi, Kev. Howdy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's the weather been like in Texas? Uh, the past few days I've been back. It's, uh, the high today was 84. I'm currently outside listening to the birds, drinking my coffee. It's a balmy 72, um, but we're going to be getting thunderstorms pretty much all week. Uh, I know when I drove through New Mexico, it was severely windy the entire day uh, because it took me an entire day to drive through New Mexico. And it was, the winds did not let up. I don't know how fast the gusts were, but they were sustained um, trying to blow me off the highway the entire day. So it was nice to get back into Texas and uh, not have that, the, that that wind fighting the wheel the entire day. Yeah, it's been really windy out here for us, too. In fact, as we speak, it is Wednesday windy. So um, it's kind of interesting because Kevin's the one that asks about what you're doing. So we're going to ask you what you're doing. So we, we call you the nomad. Not sure why we call you broken, but the nomad, because you have this little setup, you know, that you travel around in. Mm -hmm. you want to tell us about that. I don't, it's been sure. a while. Talked about it. Yeah. So before I had an off-road trailer that I pulled behind my four-wheel drive truck, and I sold the camper, and now I have a new 2022 Chevy Express van that I've. Uh, converted and am, and still am converting into uh, full-time living. Uh, it's kind of tough with a whole, without a whole lot of storage in there, but that's what I'm currently doing. But I have everything I need. I have power, more power than I need, which is a good thing. Uh, I can cook. I can do everything you can do in a house. 
Um, I just can't stand up unless I go outside. So I have a bed. I have the kitchen, the living room, the bathroom. I have everything I need, including a steering wheel. So it makes it kind of nice when uh, severe weather does roll in. I can just kind of turn the turn the key and and uh, drive in, in the opposite direction. Well, that was one of the questions I had for you. I mean, that that is an advantage to being mobile. Um, if something bad is coming your way, you can just pick up and go somewhere else. So how, how much attention do you pay to the weather when you're traveling? Very close. I, I check the weather, not constantly, but I check it off and on throughout the day and then throughout the night. I want to know what the overnight low is going to be so I know if I need – it, will I be sleeping in the sleeping bag, on top of the sleeping bag, just with a blanket, just with a sheet? Um, because it's no fun to wake up when it's uh, 29 degrees outside and only 30 degrees inside. Um, likewise, if it's uh, 90 degrees when I go to bed and it's you know 80 degrees inside, um, and sometimes it'll stay that much because I got insulation. So it, it, it really depends on the day. It depends on where I'm at. Um, when I was in Arizona, I woke up and walked outside in my shorts and T-shirt in a 37-degree sunny day, and I couldn't believe how I was not cold. I was actually quite warm. Um, but again, the humidity was at like 2% or 3%. It was super low. And then here in Texas, I could wake up with the humidity of 90%. And it's 60 degrees, and it feels super cold. So it just depends yeah. where in the country I am, time of the year, weather. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm always paying attention to the weather because the idea is when I chase 70 degrees, that's a good – between 65 and 70 is a good uh, temperature range for me. Really can't stand up? <laughs> that would be inconvenient. I can kind of stand up, but not quite all the way. Yeah, I don't have a, a full – height van. I have a, it's a, just a cargo van that I converted. So you work from there too, don't you? When you I do. I, I work inside. Well, depending on the weather, I work inside or outside. If it's a nice day, I put out my chair at my table and I work outside. And if it's not a nice day, I stay inside. So what kind of communications do you need to have to do that work? So now I have my cell phone, I have an iPad, I have a uh, hotspot, and then my van has Wi-Fi built in, so, um, which is nice because it has basically unlimited. I get like two terabytes of data per month. Um, the drawback, as I found out, is the van has to be, <laughs> the van has to be on <laughs> for the Wi-Fi to work. So um, it's nice in the morning when I have the van running to get either the heat on or the air conditioning on. Uh, and then when I turn it off, I switch over to my hotspot. Um, and then just today, I ordered Starlink. Um, because when I was out in Arizona, everybody had it but me, and I got a lot of really good information. And uh, so I pulled the trigger and ordered it today. Wow. I bet Kyle knows something about that. Sorry to steal your question, Kyle. <laughs> you got some more? No, Sam, it's all good. Um, just from being a 
you know, weather and communications nerd. It's, this is a, a great start uh, here to Kevin's adventures. And, you know, Kevin, hats off to you. Uh, congrats on acquiring that band. Um, what, what I am curious about uh, from you is um, you, you talked about some of the different environments, right, that you operate in a little bit. And uh, I'm, I'm curious kind of what uh, if you've if any, do you have like a, a separate heating system besides the one that's built in, into the van? And then what do you have for like your air circulation or ventilation to remove like cooking smells and moisture from the van as well? Outstanding questions. So, and I will answer all of them. When I, when I ordered the van uh, directly from GM, I got the additional HVAC unit that goes in the back. So I have additional heating and air conditioning. Uh, again, only while the van is on. Um, I opted not to get what's commonly referred to as a diesel heater, uh, like most uh, nomads get, which is a a separate heater that runs on diesel. And you can get some that run on gasoline as well. And some people just tap their gasoline tank uh, for their fuel. Uh, but I didn't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to have to bring diesel with me because my van runs on gasoline. So I don't want to have additional fuel. Um, so it, it's more cost effective for me to just run the van on gasoline, which is way cheaper than diesel. And then I can have my heating slash air conditioning at the turn of a dial. Also, if I don't want to run the van, I have a what's called a buddy heater that runs on propane, which is not the, the most ideal because it does introduce a certain amount of uh, moisture in the air. Um, but because the space isn't really big, um, I've used it twice now, and I haven't really noticed any difference with with the additional moisture. Um, when everything is all buttoned up and I'm sleeping, I have everything closed, all the windows closed, and when I wake up, I don't have any moisture anywhere. So, which is a good thing because some people I know who who have their builds, they wake up and every window is, you know, dripping with moisture. Um, I'm not sure if that's because of the way I insulated it or what, but I haven't had that problem yet. Um, but again, the, the, the environment, um, so I'm not going to go to somewhere that's getting, you know, six feet of snow. I, I don't want to be in a cold environment. I don't want to be around snow. Likewise, I, I also don't want to be in South Texas in August where it's 120 degrees. So it goes back to uh, managing my heat and coolness by chasing 65, 70 degrees, you know, around the country, which is kind of the whole reason I'm I'm doing this is to travel the country and see everything. So it's a little bit of planning because I'm not going to go to Florida in July. I'm not going to go to, you know, North Dakota in January. So it's it's trip planning weather watching, weather planning, um, and if it does turn south, if the weather does get bad really quick or too hot or too cold, I can turn the key and, again, drive north, south, east, west, go up in elevation. So if I'm in Colorado uh, in the lowlands and it's getting a little bit too hot, I can go up to seven, 8,000 feet elevation and it'll drop you know, 5, 10, 15 degrees. So it's, uh, it takes a bit more planning but I think it's worth it in, in, in the long run and the short run too. Jamie, you've been quiet. Oh, I, I forget. I, there's another. So one more question. 
I didn't forget. Oh. Uh, so what kind of, uh, for air circulation, uh, to get rid of cooking smells and whatnot. So I currently have on order uh, two fans. So I'll be drill, I'll be cutting holes in the roof of my beautiful, beautiful van. Um, I'll be putting a max air fan, which uh, either pulls air in or blows air out. It's reversible. And I'll be putting that right above uh, my cooking station. And then I have another exhaust fan for the rear. So when I need um, a crosswind or, or um, when I need some kind of circulation, I can open the exhaust fan and then turn on the main fan to either bring air in or pull it out. So if I'm cooking, obviously I'll have it pull it out and I'll get that, that cross ventilation from the other fan. Plus I can open the doors. <laughs> Jamie. Questions? Um, yeah, Kevin, you, you know, you, you sound and and no, it's not surprising to me at all because you've always been a very knowledgeable person about what you're doing and, and the things you're involved with. But I'm curious what the learning curve was like to kind of figure all this out. I mean, you you did have the trailer before that that seemed like that was the best idea option for you at the time. But um, it, it, you've changed directions and, and gotten the van. And so what was, that, what was that transition like? What was the decision-making process like? How, how did this all kind of flow? So I've been camping and, and being in the outdoors since I was about two or three years old. Um, my father was a humongous, I mean, just a huge outdoorsman. And I typically went most places with him. I didn't go to some of the more exotic places with him, but um, I spent the majority of my life outside, um, either just playing in the woods as a kid growing up and hiking and camping and fishing and doing all kinds of stuff. And then in the military, you didn't really have a choice. Um, based on my job, we were outside uh, most days, in fact, almost every day. Um, so that was the base layer or the, 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 I guess the baseline. And then when I got the camper at the time, the camper was always phase one of the whole process that wasn't going, that was never intended to be a long-term duration. And then when I found out that I couldn't really sit up and work in it or cook in it, like I thought I could, um, like you don't know how something is going to work until you do it until you actually get out there and do it, do it. So I realized really quick the camper was not the best idea for what for my needs uh, because I have to work remotely. Um, if it's raining, I need to be out of the rain, and uh, it, having a laptop rained on is not the best idea. So I needed something I could move around in, um, and the van just um, came a lot sooner than I initially thought. But that was always going to be one of the end goals is to have a van and maybe later to have something bigger, uh, either get an RV. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. But for me, the van was the best choice because I can build it to my specs. I can have in it what I wanted. I could have in it what I wanted and nothing that I didn't want because I'm building it all myself. So um, that was kind of the, and I, plus, you know, being outdoors and camping all my life, I kind of knew already what I would need for sleeping, what I would need for cooking and 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 uh, and sanitation and, and all those little things that 
you, know, you do during your daily life and really don't even give them much thought. Um, when you when you're outdoors for any length of time, you have to give that a lot of thought because usually you pack it in on your back, you pack it out. Uh, if you're in a vehicle, you learn really quick what you need, what you don't need. So it was kind of easy for me just because I've been doing it in one way or another pretty much all my life. Does that answer your question? Hundred percent, and and I, you know, I didn't know. I, I knew you. You, of course, had an outdoors background in a lot of things you did, but you know, it seems like just a lot to learn and 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 take in to to move through that decision making process and 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 figure out all the things you figured out. But it, it's it's impressive to hear all that you've accomplished. It's basically taking all my camping stuff and throwing it in a van. That's pretty much all it is. Um, I have a, a two-burner propane stove that I've been using for years. Um, and now I have the addition of a, a single induction cooktop that I use because I have that kind of power. So cooking is really super simple. Um, you know, hygiene, it's the same exact thing as camping. Uh, wet wipes, I can boil water and, and take a bath. I can even, if I want to... Um, there's a lot of places you can get free showers. Uh, a lot of people get gym memberships. I think Planet Fitness is the cheapest one. They have places around the country for the most part for, I think it's 25 or $30 a month and free showers, free workouts, free saunas, free you know, whatever, plus free Wi-Fi. And then there's truck stops. Um, there's a lot of options for, for that kind of thing. As far as everything else, my cooking gear is, is mostly my camping gear. Um, some things from my kitchen for my sticks and bricks, like silverware and, and coffee mugs and whatnot. But most of my stuff that I have is is already geared toward camping. Just throw it in a van. Get it organized, but throw it in a van. You had a question, Kyle. So Kevin, staying on the the whole like the gear standpoint of things and that that topic, I mean, you really talked about space being a key factor in your planning and the building of your van, which limits what you can carry, of course. So, mm -hmm. are there any van life specific like safety or survival gear that you found particularly useful up to this point? Like, I mean, with your travel taking you, I'm sure, to many remote places. Um, fire extinguishers are, are are a big thing. I have three of them in the van. Um, and I actually got the, the newer ones that they look like a road flare. Um, I forget the name of them, but they look exactly like a road flare. You, you activate them like a road flare. Um, and they last a lot longer than a typical canister. So I have three of those. I have a set of binoculars. Um, I have the typical stuff you would take hiking with you. I have my first aid kits, um, water, um, it basically, if you go hiking or camping or do anything outdoors, most of that you're going to need in the van or in an RV. Um, and other than that, it's just the basic everyday stuff. There's not a whole lot that I can think of that's specific to a van versus, you know, somebody who goes camping a lot or hiking or now the new overlanding thing. Um, refrigeration, I have a 12-volt refrigerator freezer. Um, it, basically, it's the same stuff. Just, uh, 
either geared toward camping. The one thing I do not have for safety reasons is any glass of any kind. Um, biggest reason being the obvious, I don't want anything to fall and then shatter and then trying to get everything cleaned up in that small space, miss something, you know, miss a shard of glass. You can't see it and you step on it. And now there's blood all over the van. I don't want that. Um, and that makes food shopping a little bit tricky sometimes because some things I can only, you can only find in glass bottles like olive oil. Um, but if you look hard enough, you can find things that are in, um, you know, softer containers. Well, that's a good segue, Kyle. You had a food question. Oh, indeed. You, you can tell I'm, I'm, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kevin, on the food topic of things, um, Right, with, with with limited storage space and all that, I mean, I'm sure you want to, you know, eat well and eat healthy while you're on the road. Yep. Um, what are what are some of like your favorite meals to cook? Uh, you know, for either the end of a end of a day or perhaps say you go on a uh, an adventure like a hike or something like that. Come back to the van. What what's waiting for you, or, or what do you have getting ready when you get back to the van? Well, let's see. The top of the list is breakfast tacos, because those take about two and a half minutes to make. Um, hamburgers, um, chicken I have, right? I also have my Instapot, so I'll, I'll make, um, you know, I'll, I'll cook once and I'll be able to eat, I don't know, a couple of days. Um, I have a six quart Instapot so I can make enough to, uh, to last a couple of days and I have the storage containers I just put in the fridge and they don't last very long because a, uh, if it's cold, uh, depending on what it is, but usually meats I eat first before they go bad. So if I'll have, you know, I'll buy a, a four pack of hamburgers and I'll have those done. You know, I'll have maybe one for lunch, one for dinner uh, the next day. I'll, they'll, they'll be gone inside of two or three days. Um, it, it just all depends um, what I can get. For example, I went to uh, a place in New Mexico. I think it was New Mexico. It was Arizona. I forget now. Um, somewhere along I-40. And uh, and I'll send you guys a picture after this so you can see what I'm talking about. But their meat selection, probably three-quarters of what they had was brown and bad. So I wound up not getting any fresh meat from that place. And I wound up getting a couple cans of tuna fish, a couple of cans of... Um, of chicken um so i'll make chicken salad i'll make egg salad i'll make tuna fish um so i'm still eating healthy um i really don't eat takeout at all anymore and you know breakfast tacos you know scramble some eggs and uh put in whatever else you want with them some ham bacon cheese whatever your topping of choices wrap it up and eat it um, and then once a week, I'll have, uh, some kind of a, a, a beef, a steak. Uh, and then my, my biggest thing now is, uh, I can get bison meat, which is nice. Uh, there's a couple stew recipes I'm looking to try out in the coming weeks. And, um, and that's pretty much it. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of soups. I have, uh, probably six boxes of Lipton's cup of soup. Um, at the store here, you can get a box with four packets for like a dollar fifteen. So I have like ten boxes. I got forty packets of soup, 
they they work out great for, for putting in a stew or just a quick lunch or if i don't feel like cooking for dinner i can boil some water uh, and have a cup of soup well kyle just can't get enough of this conversation he's, <laughs> we're running out of time but he's got a couple more quick questions sure. go ahead Oh, yeah, these are quick. Have, you know, first of all, hashtag throwback to my college days with the uh, lifting cup of soup. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, for your cooking, you're frying things up. Gas or induction cooktop? Uh, either propane or induction. It depends. Um, I have learned that pancakes on the induction cooktop, uh, I'm still learning how not to mess them up. So it's uh, the propane stove for those. Uh, on the flip side, I did learn a trick that I'll share. Um, if you mix your pancake mix in a a bottle, a plastic bottle, like a water bottle or something you get, let's throw a uh, like a small 12-ounce Gatorade bottle, mix your pancake mix in that, and that way you can just write, like pour it right in the, into the, the, the pan. Cleaning up is just rinse out the bottle with, with some water, let it dry out, and you're good to go. That way you don't have a whole lot of dishes to clean up later which is always a big thought when cooking on the road is be mindful of, of how much cleanup you're going to have and how much water you're going to need to, to do that cleanup, um, which is why I carry a, a squirt bottle of vinegar. Uh, that's much easier to, to clean, takes up less water. If you go through some paper towels, wipe everything off and use vinegar to, uh, to, to uh, sanitize it at the end, um, you go through paper towels and you can put them in the campfire. Oh, that makes sense. One more, Kyle. Yeah, Kevin, that's a uh, that's a really good um, preparedness hack for uh, folks that are working on building out their disaster kits and things like that. Having that uh, squirt bottle of vinegar in there sounds super useful, as you said there. And uh, my last question is on on the electricity side of things for charging uh, generator. You charge via alternator, solar, or a combination thereof. A combination. I do have a propane generator. Um, I really haven't needed it yet, but I still carry it just in case. I have 400 watts of solar on the roof. I have 400 amp hours of battery uh, that I can charge with solar. I also have a DC to DC charger that's connected to my van's alternator. Uh, pro tip, order your vehicle if you can with the, the heavy duty alternator. I have the, the 220 amp alternator. And basically what I'm driving, the alternator goes to is connected to this box, and the box sends the power, converts it, and sends the power, the power into the battery bank uh, if I need it. And then I also have shore power. So if I mooch dock, I can run an extension cord to someone's outlet and uh, plug it in the side of my van and charge that way. So I, I tried to build in as much redundancies as possible when I was planning this thing out and building it. So I can charge, um, let's see, generator, alternator, solar. So I can charge four ways. Well, I guess it's a good guess, Kevin, that you're not going to have a Great Dane as a traveling companion. No, I'm looking for something a little <laughs> bit smaller when the time is right. But I might recommend you pick Kyle up one of these days and take him for, for a ride. I think when I do, I, I will be in Colorado. Um, for a number of reasons, I have friends in there, friends in Colorado, obviously, yes, two of them are on this call. Um, so when I do go through Colorado, which is probably going to be around next spring, 
because I will be heading to the family up in the Northeast for the holidays. Uh, the plan is after that, shoot down to Key West, Florida to finish out the winter and then back out to the Arizona area for the spring. And that'll include Arizona, Utah, Colorado. Um, so yeah, I'll be out there sometime next spring, um, maybe the beginning of summer. Cool. Well, if somebody needs to feed Kyle, I know that. Uh, <laughs> they may, we may have to change this to the disaster slash food podcast. Oh, but one more thing, Kathy. <laughs> Yeah. You're making a, a video log of this. Did you want to mention that? Oh, so I, I do have a YouTube channel. I have a website. I have all the socials. Uh, the website, I haven't updated in quite some time. Uh, my YouTube channel, there's uh, had a live stream a few weeks back from the van, and I, I think I, I believe I showed a little bit of the van. Uh, then a friend of mine, uh, which I will, I'll be linking after this call, so it's on my YouTube channel. But uh, in Arizona, we had a pop-up live stream, um, and he wound up um, filming uh, a quick tour of the van. So if you want to get a, an idea on, on what version one looks like, uh, version two, um, tearing everything out and rebuilding it. So that'll be all different in the next, in the, well, in the coming months. It takes time to get everything rebuilt out, and uh, obviously, space is a, uh, a, uh, a a big issue. Small space is a big issue, and trying to work on it while you're living in it is uh, not the easiest thing in the world. Were you ready yeah. to go traveling, Jamie? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just, Kevin. Where can if people want to find you on YouTube? What's the best way to search for you, Broken Nomad? The Broken Nomad. Yep. All right. You do at the Broken Nomad, and I'll I'll send you all the links. Um, here I'll text them to you, email them to you. I'll get them to you somehow. Yeah, email them uh, to me. That'd be great. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, I do want to thank um Joe Holly. He wasn't able to make it tonight, but the the gang at Paragon Medical Education Group uh, who sponsored the Disaster Podcast and make it possible for us to bring you all sorts of inter interesting topics like the one we had tonight. Um, just want to make sure you head over and check them out at paragonmedicalgroup.com. Uh, they offer some amazing and customizable training solutions for people in the first responder space. Uh, they have medical topics, clinical topics of all sorts, as well as targeted training evolutions for your area. So definitely look them up at paragonmedicalgroup.com. And thanks again for their continued support of the show. Kyle, where can folks find out what you're up to at any given time? Well, Jamie, folks can find me on all the major social media platforms under the handle WXKyleNelson, as well as at my website, WXKyleNelson.com. I'd love to connect with our listeners to continue the conversation. Awesome. Sam, how about you? Well, where Kevin is and Kyle, <laughs> under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, and in our wonderful disaster community at Disaster Podcast on Facebook. Jamie? 
And you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations. So I look for you there. And, of course, at DisasterPodcast.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show. There are links below every audio player on each page uh, to subscribe using your favorite mobile device, uh, iOS, Android, uh, and definitely follow the show that way. So we'd love to have you on. And um, we'll be checking back in with Kevin down the road, I'm sure. Right, Sam? You betcha. Well, we're going to end this with a question. Kyle wants to sure. know, what do you call a camper van during driving through a hailstorm? Kevin? <laughs> uh, well, dented, if, if, you're, if you're lucky. I, I, on that note, I've been through a couple, and I don't have a dent yet, and the solar panels are just fine. Van Halen? Van Halen, my friends, and Mount. Okay, well, we're done. Go visit Kevin on uh, YouTube. Definitely. And everybody take care and stay safe out there. <laughs>